Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey everybody, I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Ben Holderness. Thank you so much for checking out the Holderness Family Podcast. We are so excited for this guest today. And it's funny, we had this conversation and we're talking about it now, even though it's already happened. Uh, Neil Pasricha is this very inspirational author. And the more that we really researched, the more we realized that we have a lot in common with him, like the way that he got started, right? With, with his start. Let's, I mean, I mean, he's way more. He's way fancier than we are. Absolutely. I'm just saying the, the journey and, and sort of how it got started. Yes. Uh, he's a New York Times bestselling author. He's been all over the place as a famous blog. And we're going to read you his official intro in one second. But before we hit start on the record, you know, we'd done all this research and Penn goes, I think I'd like to hang out with this guy. Well, he was saying a lot of stuff that I was nodding my head um, yeah. and, and in agreement like, man, I, I didn't realize I felt this way, but I do feel this way. Your reaction was like similar. I think you were like very inspired and impressed by him, but you definitely had some questions, right? Yeah. Neil Pasricha thinks, writes, and speaks about intentional living. He really does. He's fascinating. He is the New York Times bestselling author of eight books, including The Book of Awesome, The Happiness Equation, and most recently, Our Book of Awesome. And together, they've spent over 200 weeks on bestseller lists and have sold together all of his books, 2 million copies. He hosts the award-winning podcast, Three Books, where he's on a 15-year quest to uncover the 1,000 most formative books in the world by interviewing people like Malcolm Gladwell, Judy Bloom, and the world's top-ranked Uber driver. Neil has degrees from Queen's University and Harvard Business School and lives in Toronto with his family. His latest book is called Our Book of Awesome. We are going to introduce you to Neil in just one second, but on our podcast, we really appreciate this time and this space to have these conversations. I was reading Neil's books and a lot of the conversation was about you know, being really intentional and choosing happiness. And as somebody with anxiety and depression, just to be really honest, my conversation with him, I was like, I said, can you just choose to be happy? Penn's reaction was, I think I'm, I'm, I can't wait to hang out with this guy. So we went in with very kind of, I was a little caught, I was excited, but I was a little cautious. And Penn went in thinking he was going to meet a best friend. And I have to say at the end of this, he had some really, really good research and answers to back up. Well, what I wasn't expecting is that he lines up 
as you. I think that's probably why I wanted to hang out with him. Like he, he, I didn't really catch this in his reading, but then once talking to him, I'm like, oh, he's Kim. He goes through anxiety. Mm -hmm. He went through depression. He had like a best friend who killed himself, right? And so he, he has this intimate relationship with it. The part of it to me that was really interesting, and I'm going to let him say it in his own words, but I just want to summarize it really quickly. My shortcomings, I know what they are. I know how to work on them. Sometimes it seems like totally impossible. Kim is exactly the same way. I think hearing that this positivity that he's come across is something that he has to actually actively work on. Mm -hmm. That made a difference in your perception of him. 100%. Right? Yeah. And so, again, I think the reason why I like him so much is he reminds me of my wife. Aww. And um, let's just get to it. Neil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me here. It's great to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, the, my first instinct when I looked at your story was that we have something in common, you and Kim and I, that a lot of your big decisions that you made in life were these like transitional moments. Like you, you know, you, you were living in your 20s, you had a rough go, you needed something new. And so you made this change to start talking about awesome things. Your second book was when your wife was pregnant, which is another for us. That was like when we made a big decision as well. How, like, how important do you think it is to be under some sort of stress when you, yeah. when you have inspiration? Uh, I mean, like looking forward or looking backwards, right? Like, so looking forwards when you're in a period of stress, it's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm reaching for straws. I'm looking for vines. I'm just looking, you know, people are looking, I'm looking to distract myself. When in 2008, my wife left me and my best friend took us in life. I clung to the randomness of Google and typed in how to start a blog, click the I'm feeling lucky button. And I started a website called 1000 awesome things. Well, listen, Penn, I didn't know what a, a thousand sounded like a small number to me. Awesome things were just like, Literally, my mother-in-law, you know, of the woman that was leaving me, said everything was awesome. You know, she was like, awesome, awesome, awesome. So that word was just ringing in my head. I didn't put much thought into it. And then, you know, it turned out that over the next 1,000 straight days, as I wrote about an awesome thing a day, it turned into a vessel, a, a life raft, a, a, you know, a, a place for me to help kind of turn my brain around. But I couldn't have told you that before I started. And I wouldn't have even told you that in the first few weeks when I was didn't have anything to write about. My first entry was called Flower, the strange mutant hybrid child of nature's ugliest vegetables. <laughs> you know, so I didn't have anything to write about. I was, but looking back now from a vantage point of 15 years later, it's like, wow, wow. That was exactly when, you know, I first stepped into this world that I still live inside today, which is how do we in these tiny, short, precious lives we have, Think about living them as rich and as tensionally as possible. And that's still what I'm doing 10 books later, 12 years later from that. I, I, I've been very open when I talk about previous battles with depression, anxiety. It, I walk with it most days. So my reflex reaction when I start <laughs> reading your books is, I can't just decide to be happy. You know, yes. I, I can't just, okay, I'm going to be happy. So like I get a little defensive about it. Um, and you married someone. Who's a golden retriever. I, I am a stop and smell the roses kind of guy. This is a perfect sequel to our podcast that we had last week, right? Because we, we talked about this a fair amount. Well, we were different in very, way, in very many ways. But my question is, mm -hmm. to clarify, more of a clarification, your thesis is you can decide your mood. You can decide to find happiness. Well, I'll, I'll, I, I, first of all, I fully agree with you. I, I completely agree with you. I think, Kim, you know, it's, it's like, 
sometimes when we tell our own stories, we have the compression effect, right? The slinky effect where I'm summarizing, I'm summarizing a period of my life into a, a sentence for a podcast or a media bite or whatever I'm talking about. But if you extend it into an 18-minute TED Talk, for example, or you extend it into a long-form conversation like this, I will also ladle in, I was getting therapy twice a week, mm-hmm. okay? I, had an, I, I was the son of Indian immigrants, one of whom came from absolutely nothing in India, and when he came to Canada, he experienced everything for the first time when I did, mm-hmm. snow for the first time. Um, you know, stickers on the fruits for the first time, like this mangoes from Mexico. For the first... So I had, I had this sort of like culture of awe a little bit from my dad, right? I had the benefit of time. I had the benefit of family support. So do I think you can just become happy? No, I don't. But I do agree with Sonia Lubomirsky's thesis in her book, The How of Happiness, that happiness is 50% genetic, 10% circumstantial, like what's happening to you, and 40% based on your intentional activities. And if we zoom into those intentional activities, Neil Pasricha, at the time of going through his divorce and losing his best friend, was starting a daily journaling practice, right? You know the research from Slasher and Pennebaker on the benefits of writing down simple pleasures, how it triggers the visual cortex in our brain, how it opens up Area 17. So when the, the, the golden retriever is sniffing the roses, you know, That might take five seconds, but if the golden retriever talks about sniffing the roses, it lights up that area again. If the golden retriever writes down about sniffing the roses, it lights up the area again. So it's just a a replay effect that we get, the benefit of journaling. I didn't know that at the time. I was just looking for something positive, Mm -hmm. right? Plus the therapy, plus the support from my family, plus, 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 plus. These things help slowly shift, slowly shift my brain into a more positive state. So I agree with you. And now that we get the benefit of having a podcast conversation, we can add the nuance and complexity of it and say, yeah, it wasn't just his blog that made this guy happy. It was a suite of things that was, you know, the blog was one of the things. Mm -hmm. What do you say to people who struggle with depression and struggle with anxiety, who don't have the ability to, to make that intentional switch? I mean, this is, so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting next to my wife. Um, she had postpartum depression. She had anxiety. She continues to struggle with it. Um, you, you can't speak it out of existence. It comes for you no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, the numbers on both depression and anxiety, and I don't need to tell you this, are, are both skyrocketing today. So mm-hmm. my friend Chris Kim, who took his own life, who was my best best friend, and, and is his suicide it was part of the origin story of me writing this blog, A Thousand Awesome Things, you know, he saw probably eight different doctors over the time I knew him, and every doctor gave him a different diagnosis. Was it split personality? Was it, was it uh, major depression? Was it severe anxiety disorder? Like, we're still learning about these things, you know? Mm-hmm. We're changing the names of them all the time. I just learned yesterday that the name ADHD is changing, right, to SOAR. Like, we're, we're, we, we're, our, our ability to understand and look into mental illness not even called mental illness anymore, mental health challenges, is growing so rapidly at the same exact time that one in three college students today suffers from clinical anxiety. Clinical. When you and I went in college, the number of people that actually had a prescription from a doctor said you have clinical anxiety was not one in three. Mm-mm. Okay, that was one in three. Plus, the National Institute of Mental Health says that one in four of us suffer from, from clinical depression. If you go by another set of research from the UK, it's actually 43% of us today suffer from a depressive symptom. So what's happening right now in society is our rates of depression and anxiety and our understanding of them is growing rapidly. And what's also happening at the same time is we're looking at the studies that I'm quoting that I'll share more of today to support me, you, your listeners. I struggle with anxiety too. And some of the studies that I'm going to mention 
do include and take into account people that have depressive symptoms. For example, there's a really formative study. I'm just going to throw this in here now because we're talking about it. It's nice to just ladle one in here. Uh, for some reason, I've mentioned the word ladle twice. I haven't said it in five years. And <laughs> it's just, actually, I, he's hungry for some soup. Listeners, That's what it is. We actually I'm, challenged I'm clearly, Neil to say yeah. ladle at least three times. So he has to work it in one more time in the podcast. Okay. We've got to get one more ladle in here. Yeah. But Michael Babick and a team of researchers found that doing three 30-minute walks a week, okay, has a greater impact on your happiness than taking antidepressants or even the combination of taking antidepressants and doing the walking. I'm saying there's a formative study out there. It's foundational study. It's been quoted many times in many TED Talks, many books, but we still haven't done a great job of, of amplifying it. They looked at people with depressive symptoms, people with depression, and they found that the combination of three brisk nature walks a week outperformed the antidepressants yeah. and the combination of doing both. Yeah, it was I, an unbelievable yeah. study. I have it. I have this study in my book, The Happiness Equation. Um, you know, and, and and the book's done well. But like, there's an example of just one study, uh, Pan. To your point, where we can start to say, "Hey, it must be so hard to be dealing with the lens you're dealing with, to be living in the way that you're living with it, to have the world sort of feel dour and gray and heavy, the black dog that Brené Brown talks about, and maybe." Perhaps if you're open, if you catch on the right day, if we catch in the right place, there is a way that we can start to ladle in some of these little practices yeah. to help prime your brain to be a little more positive. And I want to say that again. I don't mean be happy. I mean be a little more positive. Be a little happier. The word happy is the North Star. It's the place we're going. We ain't ever going to get there. Right. It's about taking the walk and the journey and just moving forward bit by bit by bit. You said we're all hot messes in your podcast. I heard you say yeah. that, right? So it's just about going the right direction. Right. So much of life is just making sure you're walking the right way. We're coming right back. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
I read that study because I, I, I read the, your book of awesome and I, I read that study and I've also read that I just finished the uh, another book which which quotes a similar study. Yeah, that's the happiness equation. And I so here's here's where I read it and I go, I I, I believe it that because there but I get a little like I vibrate a little bit when I hear that it replaces a medication, but because I don't want to be somebody's doctor. But I do know there was a period in my life mm-hmm. where I, I wasn't thinking of self harm or hurting anybody else, but I was so yeah. low that that medicine, it, um, after my son was born, that that medicine I think saved me because it was a Absolutely. fast life raft. But I did eventually, after you know, like eight years, I did get off of it and I'm living without it, but to live without it requires, that's why before our podcast, I'm like, if I don't do my walk right now, it's supposed to rain later. And if I don't get out and go for a run, <laughs> I, I know that I know the, it's almost like a prescription. It's, if, it starts the cascade. It, a a cascade you, will exactly, start. Right. If I don't do, yeah. okay, I have to get outside. It has to be outside and even though it's winter and I have to do all those things. So I believe it, I am a living testament to it. But when I, I know some people really struggling right now, and I'm like, "Ooh, it's just so hard." Anyway, I know we're. we're well, here. I, I agree with you fully. My mom's got my mom has, has bipolar, and you know when we got when she got on the meds, I mean it made a huge, massive difference. My mm-hmm. Uber driver yesterday on my way to a book signing at Costco <laughs> was telling me all about um, the fact that he finally got on the meds for his ADHD, and he said it's amazing. It makes me more normal. And I said, it makes you more normal. He said, I didn't say normal was a good thing, but it makes <laughs> me more, he said, it make, but it makes me more normal. And it was interesting to see, you know, I haven't been on de- depression medication myself and I haven't been on anxiety medication myself, although I think of myself as struggling sometimes with both of those things. Um, but for friends in my life, family members in my life, close family members, close fa- friend members, there's there's this constant journey between what's the medication, how much are you taking, how does it make you feel, how does it make you present, right? So it is like anything yeah. else, yeah. A, a, a journey to to figure that out for yourself. I don't I don't throw in these studies to say this is this is a hundred percent true. I throw in these studies to say maybe somebody listening could grab onto one or two of these things if they're searching for a vine or a ten trail or a, just like I was at that time and 100%. You know, so, no. like any podcast conversation it's like you hear 10 things and two of them work for you right. you know 100% yeah you know what else happens in podcast conversations is you discover new things um and you mentioned ADHD twice I've got ADHD. We're working on a book about ADHD. I have put multiple videos out saying that they need to change the name of ADHD because it's terrible. It's three negative words out of four. It's a deficit. It's hyperactivity and it's a disorder. And um, yeah. and so I'm sitting here listening to it and you're like, oh yeah, they're changing the name for ADHD. And we both looked at each other like, like, what? Because so, we've been trying to like, we're like, we need to rebrand this. Yeah. And you're saying that they're changing it. Okay. So if they've already done it, yeah. that's great. My work is no longer necessary. <laughs> but can you tell me? You said sore is sore, is uh, yeah. like is this a thing now? Have they have the people who control things <laughs> changed the name? And, well, um, I'm seeing summer yeah, camps. and, and so, we can cut this um, out if this is not. Yeah. Oh no, we're leaving all this in. This is discovery. 
Well, this is discovery, and so I was in. Here's what happened: I took an Uber yesterday to uh, Costco to do a book signing for our book of awesome, my new book. And you know, when your book is in Costco, you do anything Costco says to do, yeah. right? Because uh, Costco yes. piles them high and watches them fly. It's the, the the thing is, but when you go to a book signing in Costco, you meet so many interesting characters. Most of them ask you where the pet food is. You know what I mean? And, and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, samples. They want samples. Fifty hot dogs. Um, but it so happened that I got a guy uh, driving me on the way there yesterday, and his, his name was Siddhartha, and um, we ended up having a really deep emotional conversation, and he told me that he's 25 years old, he's he's from India, he grew up, and he felt like a failure. He said, my, he said quote, my parents used to whoop me because I failed everything at school. Mm. Uh, my only friends were dogs, and so today he's, in addition to an Uber driver, he's also a dog trainer. He's found a kinship and a connection with animals. He said, it took me until my 11th grade math teacher, a philosophical math teacher in the middle of India, in Gujarat, the province of Gujarat, helped illuminate the fact that I just think and learn a different way. Mm -hmm. And from the mentorship of that math teacher that he had in 11th grade, he, he moved to Canada on his own without his family to start a new wow. life for himself. And a year ago was diagnosed with ADHD. That diagnosis, Penn, I'm just going to share his story for those listening. That diagnosis helped illuminate everything in his life, right? He learned about how he learned. He learned about what, you know, why things happen in his life certain ways. He learned about his insomnia. He learned about, you know, his ability to focus deeply on one thing for long periods of time. And he also learned through his research that the name ADHD was actually not a correct way. No, it's wrong. It's, a, it's wrong. Yeah. And so he, he's done more research and he has, and I just looked it up so that I could be accurate here because I don't want to misrepresent. He told me that the new name for ADHD, and it was new to me when he said it, is called VAST, V-A-S-T. Yeah. It stands for Variable Attention Stimulus Trait. And a na this name allows ADHD to be demedicalized and focused on the huge benefits as well of having an ADHD brain. Look, when I was a kid, we used to say, um, you know, uh, autism. You know, we used to say like the short bus, right? We used to say like, yeah. you know, on the spectrum. And now we're the using R terms word. like, yeah. you know, neurodiverse and... and um, we're learning and so much. We're learning. The, the, the nomenclature helps to communicate the things. And unfortunately, words still are, uh, an, uh, you know, an inaccurate representation of the vastness yeah. of our mind. Yeah. But hopefully this new name, VAST, Variable Attention Stimulus Trait, helps to evolve the research yeah. and the work around what we, I guess, used to call, and probably most of us still call, ADHD. You know, well, ADHD. I, Don't forget, before that, it was ADD. Like, when yeah. I was a kid, mm -hmm. it was just ADD. There wasn't even, the you know, there wasn't even the understanding that, you know, there was the split. Yeah. So um, I think, given that, on that note, our minds are so different. And by, I love the positivity out of that. That's the sort of the, the books I reach for, the messages I try to listen to are positivity. It's part of that, what I have to do, my routine to build myself up. Penn just comes equipped with it. So <laughs> where we struggle as married people, he is very, and, and your message in your books was about appreciating what you have and, and, um, and is part of this, right? And acknowledging, and there's there's this quest for more. We all fall into it. We want more, you know. And when you started your blog, you told the story of, you know, you got fifty thousand clicks, and you wanted a million, then you wanted ten million, and so we yeah. always want more, more, more. Pen is very fifty thousand clicks is amazing. Let's let's just hang out here. 
So, and it is amazing, by the way. I tend to, I, I, I like a vision board. I, I love a goal. I, if, if this much is good, that much will be better. But sometimes it is better. Sometimes it is better. So how do you reconcile this? Mm-hmm. This let's just be happy with our with what we have yeah. with a desire to improve your conditions. This is going to be interesting because he's he, we, we've now put him in the marriage counselor role. He, oh, this is he why we can't do this totally side with me here. No, we we do a he's, podcast. And I, I bet he's not going to. Like. By the way. No. Uh, now, well, what I'm question? really thinking is my wife, Leslie, is upstairs. I kind of like wish she was here with me. She's amazing. Get her, down. Um, Get her down. And she's an elementary school teacher here in Toronto and and just wonderful to talk to about things like this. But here's what I'll say is that, you know, all of us, all 8 billion of us around the world have a, a walnut-sized thing in the middle of our brain called our amygdala, A-M-Y-G-D-A-L-A, amygdala. And this amygdala has been evolving based on the research for 3 million years, not 300,000 years, which is our species, our species have been around, but for, you know, 2.7 million years, even before our species, like there's an amygdala and a lot of things that are pre-human. And the amygdala's job is simply to secrete a fight or flight hormone all day that has a simple goal, which is, does it eat me or do I eat it? Do I run away from the stegosaurus that's thrashing through the bushes or do I attack it with my spear and have dinner for a month? That amygdala is still part of our brain. And over the last hundred years, our society and our civilization and our culture has changed tremendously, but our biological brains have not. And so... When I look at the reviews on, and I hear you guys, you know, reading the reviews at the beginning of your podcast, which I think is a wonderful, and I'm, I'm starting to do that too. When I look at the reviews for three bucks, my podcast, which I'd love to have you on, I can't help but stare at that iTunes screen and just look at the one review that's one star. Mm-hmm. even though there's 15 other reviews on the same screen that are five stars. Right. When I go to read the Amazon reviews for the happiness equation, um, my brain wants to look at the one that's one star. Mm-hmm. This guy is an elitist. He's an, he's an elitist guy. And, you know, this, this book talked down to me. And it did. That's the one my brain wants to read, 100%. right? Mm-hmm. And on one hand, perhaps that orientation is what I'm an immigrant son. My parents are, you know, my mom's from Nairobi, Kenya. My dad's from Amritsar, India. They came to Canada with nothing. And I have maybe some of that is part of what's helped me, quote unquote, you know, work really hard and be blogging every day and be writing eight books and be putting out journals and be doing a podcast every two weeks. And be that's part of my drive. And perhaps the goal and the journey for me personally, because you didn't also know that this is a therapy session for me, did you? <laughs> uh, is, is I have to learn how to be more content. I have to learn to be a little more golden retriever. I have to learn to be a little bit more satisfied with where I am, be acknowledging the biological fundamentals in my brain that are not going to change till the day I die. And with the knowledge of how my brain is structured and how your brain is structured, everybody listening to his brain is structured, say, okay, I got something in my brain secreting fight or flow hormones all day. So now how do I both wield that and live with that in a way that feels comfortable, in a way that feels connected with my wife, with my little kids, uh, with my parents? So I show up as a great dad, as a great husband, as a great son, more often than I don't. And that's a journey I am still on today. So it's, it's a balance between progress and contentment. 
right? Like that's always ambition and contentment for me. Yeah. I definitely wrestle with those two things. Call it progress. I call it ambition. This is maybe the defining uh, story of my past, you know, 12 years since I've been doing this stuff. Why am I sitting here on a pile of 10 books, 2 million copies sold, flying around the world? I gave 79 speeches last year. Why, why am I doing that? And also, I don't need to be. Yeah. I, I really don't need to be. I really don't need to be. But I'm doing it. But I don't need to be. Yeah, and so that's so that's where I sit is yeah. that I I love probably like you I love to create things whether it's a blog post or a video or a TikTok I love the act of taking something I'm not a good artist, but if I were an artist, you know, you take something out of your brain and you don't, don't say you're not a good artist. Say I'm not a good artist. Dot dot dot. Yet, or I don't even really need to be a good artist. But 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 what my <laughs> but I love to create something and put it out there, and the process itself is my favorite part. I'm thrilled people read and listen, but the process itself actually is sort of medicine to my when I get really anxious or depressed, mm-hmm. I just start writing. So with that, that becomes the more. And Penn is always waving the flag of, we don't really need to do this. I, you know what I want I want to cue Neil up on here? I don't know if this is apropos, but will you tell her why the Japanese have no word for retirement? Yes, I will. I will. I will. Absolutely. And I also will say, to your point, I just heard a wonderful conversation between Casey Neistat and Rich Roll. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know uh, either of those folks, yeah. but... Casey and I said, it's the, you know, uh, he's YouTuber, in the world that yeah. you're in. And he said, it seems to me that I love making stuff and that I don't like the kind of stuff that comes after. But he says, in the world today, we have replaced creativity with influence. Ooh. He says, we have replaced creativity with influence. And he said, that sucks. That kind of sucks. But in society today, because of how social media has been designed, we have we have replaced your creation of something that you love with your ability to amplify with your it. platform size so right. that yeah. skill of influence has become a bigger muscle in society whereas the skill of creativity has gotten less valuable for the kind of maybe the first time maybe the first time in a while mm-hmm. so i just want to kind of leave you with that little that little sort of pinprick so that we can kind of maybe come back to that and then i'll say on the on the on the topic of making and the joy of loving to do that when I was writing the happiness equation, I went around and I looked for um, examples of people or society or places where it seemed that they were disproportionately a little bit more happy. And I bumped into a really famous study called the Blue Zone Study, which is done by Dan Butner and a team of researchers from National Geographic. And for those that don't know, they identified a number of areas around the world where people live over the age of 100 in a far more common number than than we do kind of and in live general well live well and, yeah yeah and they live well and he gave a really famous TED talk called how to live to 100 and and uh side note one day one year for christmas i gave my wife i think before she was my wife a, a present called let's live to 100 together and it was like the bottle of wine that the guy oh. mentioned in the in the ted talk plus the the little oh, cards so he said to, this, a small plate to eat your dinner off of and it turns out that one of the areas where they live to 100 more more often than not is in okinawa japan and in okinawa japan it turns out they don't have a word for retirement they don't have a word to stop they don't have a word to kind of be content to the point where you stop doing instead they have a word called ikigai that word is spelled i 
I K I G A I, ikigai. It roughly translates, and you know translations are never perfect, but it roughly translates as the reason you get out of bed in the morning.、Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in these scattered islands in the in the you know in the East China. East China Sea, South China Sea, East China Sea.、Um, you know,、uh, they have a lot more hundred-year-olds. Who's like my icky guy is to fish for my family. My icky guy is to take care of my great, 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 great granddaughter. My icky guy is to be a boxing coach. They have a boxing coach that is like a hundred eight years old, and so I. Love that, and I resonate with it. And for me personally, I distilled that down a little bit further, maybe as a way to wrestle with my own、uh, inability to be content. I said, you know what? It's not really retirement that we even want. It's we want to find work that we love.、Yeah. And can we distill the work we love down into a model that everybody knows and, and, and can kind of resonate with? And I did that for me. I wrote about this in the Happiness Equation, and I called it the Four S model of great work. He's so good、so、at maybe- listing with letters. He's got the three A's of awesome. He's got the four <laughs> S's of, and we're getting okay. Something we're getting, he's, he's writing. He's、yeah. writing. Well, he's doing. Of, it's the four S's of great. It's the four S's of great work. Yeah, he is、so、an alliteration ninja. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh wait, I can't well, use that word anymore. It's partly because for my own brain, I like to remember stuff, and when I read giant thick twenty five page white papers by incredible guests like the ones you've had on this show. I can't take away something that I can remember. So part of what I'm doing, Pen, is just making things simple enough for me. <laughs> the number one S is social. According to Daniel Gilbert at, at Harvard University, who wrote the book Stumbling on Happiness, nothing matters more to our long-term happiness than our the strength of our relationships with our friends and our family.、Mm-hmm. And the 1938 spawned Harvard Adult Development Study, which is the longest-running study on happiness ever in human history. Which admittedly was only for guys because only men went to Harvard at the time. So you know you can look back and say, well, this is a really terrible study because it only it's only on men. But it's just the longest one we have. And they say, found the same thing that our relationship quality with our friends and family matters more than income, you know, nationality, health. It matters more than all of those things. So I say social. There's a reason. I was director of leadership at Walmart for a decade. Well, that was my last role, but I was at Walmart for ten years. And there's a reason on engagement surfe- surveys in big organizations they ask, "Do you have a best friend at work?"、Mm-hmm. Because they have found that that answer, yes or no, correlates with your. Desire to stay at the organization is partly why organizations have like you know hang out after work night and you know breakfast with the CEO and they're doing all that social stuff because they're trying to create connection with work. If you like the people you work with, you're much more likely to like your work. So the、mm. first S is social. The second S is stimulation. Simple. I'll make this a lot shorter. It's are you always learning something new? Simple as that. Are we are learning animals? We want to be learning. If you're in a job where a year later you're doing the same thing, that's going to get old. So you need to have, be learning something new. The third S is structure. I really believe. Well, I know that every single week is 168 hours in it. You divide it into three. It's three buckets of 56. You sleep eight hours a night. That's 56 hours a week. You、um, you know you you rest or you take time for yourself. That's eight hours a day. You work eight hours a day. I like the structure of that. So even if you work kind of evenings and weekends, it's a 56 hour bucket. I structure. Is important if you retire, which by the way you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> a chapter in my book is called "Never Retire." Retirement, by the way,、mm-hmm. yeah, you gotta have an icky guy instead. Retire. Fortune magazine did a study, and they found that the year you were born and the year you retire are the two most dangerous years of your life. Everybody knows. I know. You know. Somebody who retired, and then the year after that, they they drop dead. When you take away somebody's structure of their life, it is it becomes a really 
big source of mm. unhappiness. And the last S is story. You need to be part of something bigger than yourself. You need to be doing something. We have this desire as humans to be part of something bigger than ourselves. So this typically in an organization is called the purpose or the mission statement, or it's the high level thing that we are doing as a team that I could not do and you could not do, but we can do together. And so maybe for you, it's, you know, communicating how to live a great life, right? <laughs> and, you, and, and, and you do that so well. And maybe if you're Google, you're organizing the world's information. And maybe if you're Coca-Cola, their mission statement, by the way, is to deliver ha happiness breaks to the world. Maybe for the Red Cross, it's to help people in emergencies. Well, no single person could do that, but the Red Cross can do that. So what's the story you're part of that's bigger than you? Those four S's, social stimulation, structure, and story, create a composite model that I like to use that helps me think of what I'm really chasing as opposed to retirement. I really want the four S's. And notice none of those S's was salary. Money is actually not a driver of our happiness past a certain level. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's interesting. There was a level definitely where we, and we talked about this recently where we didn't have enough money to comfortably go grocery shopping. So some money's important, but then after that, you yeah. Penn is does such a good job of like, we're good. I come from a, a um, maybe it's childhood finances, maybe it's something where I'm like, I feel very financially um, yeah. motivated because maybe it's, we didn't, it was never secure. It was fine. We were fine. We had everything we needed, but it wasn't. Yeah. Neither of us were. Right. But you, I think we had different financial backgrounds. Yeah. And so I felt very insecure about like, are we good? That, so I, I have to unpack why I'm so motivated that way. Probably because you see, like you see that as security for your family and the people that you love. Right. And you see it as a, a way to assure that they're not going to be in a situation that maybe you don't want them to be in. Right. But you're so that. right when it comes down to it. If, I mean, listen, we just won the amazing race here. Uh, and after um, taxes, after it was about $7. It was about, yeah. And then yep. we did, we it's did great. donate a big chunk of it. We walked away with the joke is like $9,000, which is really funny, but $9,000 at, at one point in our life is life, life changing. Yeah. But I'm like, Oh, that's just $9,000. But I'm like, uh, wait, 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 let me see. You win a, to win, when you win the amazing race, you get $9,000. No, no, no Kim, Kim is exaggerating. Basically, we get sat down, dollars. we sat down with an accountant. We, it was a million dollars. We looked at taxes. They were substantial. 400000 Then we looked at um, what our main goal was when we did it was, which was to bolster our children's college fund. Then we looked at some donations we wanted to make. And then at the end, we, it was, the joke was, oh my God, we have $9,000. We got $9,000. Um, right. Yeah. And and so we like bought some shoes. Yeah. So, but I was like, yeah. oh, it's just nine thousand dollars. But I'm like, I'm an idiot. Nine thousand dollars to somebody, because we did we did do donations. Everybody listening, we did thirty percent of it. We donated, but like nine thousand dollars is yeah is, is a lot of money. I'm like, okay, this is proof that money is not it for me. Like money is not going yeah. to be be the carrot and I have to stop chasing that. So actually yeah. actively one of my I can't call it a resolutions, but one of the focuses of this year is trying to find this story. Like what is the yeah. thing what is the thing that I'm a part of? Like what's the process that I'm a part of that on a daily life, whether it's this, we've also joked, by the way, that we're going to be in the retirement home with microphones that aren't even plugged in. We're still going to be doing this podcast and I'm going to be writing so on maybe a computer I'm, that's not yeah. connected to the internet. Maybe this is your icky guy. Maybe I'm an icky guy. 
You see what I did there with the joke? Oh, dad jokes for days. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to let Neil jump in again here, but it is interesting, like, listening to you, listening to Kim, I think Kim came into this conversation wondering if you guys were going to be at odds about some of these things, and you might still be, but actually, person, personality-wise, you line up as very similar people. No, yeah. I was never. Like my questions, my big questions coming in were the ones you answered yeah, right away. The ambition which, versus... Right, but the ones you answered right away. And to that end, in your book, you do have tips for people, things in your daily life that you do, like taking phone breaks or or different things like that that contribute those, those little tiny actionable items. Yeah. What are the things you do, your morning routine, what are the things you do in your day that contribute to your overall positivity? Mm-hmm. Well, I can I can talk a lot about that. Although I will say on the financial stuff, like we, we you and I can talk at length about that because I, I have a very similar uh, psychology around money and I'm still unpacking that myself. I will say just to close that off, I want to throw the research study in for people. Daniel Kahneman uh, at the Woodrow School inside Princeton did a study that showed that above $70,000, which, you know, you could put into terms for today's, today's money, you might say it's $100,000 because the study was done a number of years ago. Over and above that much money, you know, there's, there is no shown benefit on your uh, subjective well-being. So it just means that once you, uh, below a certain threshold, it's, it's, it's getting you rent. It's getting you groceries. It's getting you uh, the ability to, to take a vacation. It's getting you the ability to travel to see your family. These things all make a big difference in your happiness. And then above a certain level, it gets you nicer countertops in your kitchen, a, a redesigned spa in your backyard, uh, a, a, you know, a, a van that has a, a, a TVs or versus one that doesn't have TVs. And these things don't make a difference. So I, I just think that like remembering that study is really helpful for me. At least it's something that I think about a lot. Um, and they then temporarily for me, make yeah. a difference. A, a new car will temporarily yeah. make you happy, but long term, to your to, to your point, it's not going to yeah. have a huge impact. Well, exactly, exactly. We could go into a deep detail on the hedonistic treadmill and how mm-hmm. our brains naturally change the posts. So, what do I do to try to cultivate a positive mindset on a daily basis? Because, like both of like like you, uh, Kim, and not necessarily you as much, Pen, and like a lot of listeners, it's something that I find I do have to work on, uh, as opposed to coming naturally. And so, a few things I do. Number one is the biggest and most important thing is I do not take myself into my bedroom. Um, I believe that. Well, I know right now, ninety five percent of people are checking their phone right before bed, sleeping within five feet of their phone, and they're checking their phone right when they wake up in the morning. I know this because I survey every single audience I speak to, and I ask them to raise their hands if they do this, and ninety five percent of people mm-hmm. put their hand up right now. Mm-hmm. But I say, stop, guys. If you drank a bottle of wine before bed every night, slept within five feet of a bottle of wine, and drank a bottle of wine when you woke up every morning, we'd have no problem calling you an alcoholic. We wouldn't be judging you, but we'd call you an alcoholic. We're phoneaholics now, and we don't seem to notice. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to hear people's excuses. Oh, it's my alarm clock. Go buy an alarm clock. They're $10 at Walmart. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, you know, I'm very important. I get all these calls in the middle of the night. No, you don't. You're not that important. And if you really are that important, <laughs> call your telecommunications company and pay $10 to get a landline. Give yeah. that landline phone number, which nobody wants. That's why they're so cheap to your five emergency people, your boss, your direct report, your sister who's going through something, your mom, your, your dad who's sick. And those five people can reach you. That gives you a permission to leave your phone out of the bedroom. Leave the phone out of the bedroom. And instead, when you start your day, I want you to wake up and grab a piece of paper or a pen or a journal that I made for this exact purpose. And I call it two minute mornings. The average person's awake for a thousand minutes a day. I have found through research that if you can take two minutes to cultivate a positive 
mindset before you get out of bed, it makes the other 998 days happier, which according to Sonia Lubomirsky, to mention her again, makes you 31% more productive, gives you 37% higher sales, makes you 300% more creative. And we can go on and on and on and on. It makes you better at everything if you show up to the day and to, to your work happy. Well, what do you do in those two minutes? It's very simple. You write down three key phrases. Number one, you write down, I will let go of. Number two, you write down, I am grateful for. And number three, you write down, I will focus on. One more time, I will let go of. There's a reason that almost every single world religion has a form of confession or repentance built into the religious practice. It's not just the Catholic confession chamber that everybody knows. Buddhism, Mormonism, Judaism, Islam, almost all religions have a form of confession baked into the religious practice. All of them, thousands of years, every country in the world. But the number one fastest growing religion in the United States today is actually none. And we are crossing over quickly into a secular majority culture, meaning that the United States, Canada, where I'm from, France, the Netherlands, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, more than half of us no longer ascribe to a particular faith. Let's not throw up the baby with the bathwater. Look at the science too. There's a study called Don't Look Back in Anger from Science Magazine. It says the same thing. If you write down your regret, the thing you're processing, you get rid of it. You process it. I will let go of comparing myself to Tim Ferriss. His podcast is so much bigger. It looks like he's got way better pecs in his pictures too. Well, that's something <laughs> I always compare myself to some other sexier, bigger, better writer. I just had a book come out. Our book of Austin came out. It sold 10,000 copies in the first month. You know what I think? Well, Ryan Holiday sold 50,000 copies. Oh, well, you know, uh, look at the, the Prince Harry book. That sold a million copies. I'm not on the bestseller list after a few weeks. It's fallen off already, you know? I think that way. So I will let go of worrying about my book being on the best hour list or whatever it is. Then I am grateful for You had Robert Emmons on. You talked all about gratitude for an hour. I listened to the conversation. It was wonderful. You don't need, to tell you, you don't need me to tell you that him and, and Professor McCullough did a study that found that if you write, write down five gratitudes a week, over a 10-week period, they compared it to hassles and people who wrote down events. You're not just happier, but you're physically healthier over a 10-week period. The problem is most people, when they write down gratitudes, guys, they write down vague things. Yeah. I am grateful for my husband, my kid, and my dog. And that ain't going to cut it. In order to trigger the visual cortex in your brain, you actually have to be specific. I'm grateful for when Penn put the toilet seat down. I'm grateful for when my daughter learned how to write her name. I'm grateful for when the rescue puppy we got in the pandemic saw it peeing on my wife's pillows. Be specific. Conjure up a memory of what happened in the past 24 hours that's specific enough that your brain relives it and replays it in your mind. Finally, I will focus on, we all suffer from decision fatigue. Should I have listened to a podcast right now? Which one am I going to listen to? How far should I listen to this thing? We're all thinking about a million things. What am I going to wear? And what am I going to eat? Do I want onions on my burger? Where am I going to sit? It's exhausting. That's, and there's only two ways to replenish our decision-making energy at the end of the day. One is glucose, which is why at the front of the supermarket, there's a wall of candy. And two, sleep, which, you know, none of us get enough sleep. That's an epidemic in itself. So you got to write down one thing you'll focus on every single morning. Today, I wrote down, I will focus on this podcast. This is my one focus for the we day. Were your, we were your, uh, yes. you wrote focus on our podcast is your one this morning? Because I, That's an incredible because honor. If I, don't, if I don't choose a will do from my endless could do and should do, my brain quickly gets overwhelmed with how much is on that endless to-do list. Mm. 
So I got to focus on one good thing a day so I can cross off the end of the day and feel proud of myself. These three simple prompts, man, I will let go of, I am grateful for, I will focus on is the two-minute morning strategy to waking up without your cell phone and starting your day for starting to make your day a positive one from the beginning. I, I'm down to try this. Um, just really quickly, Kim started sleeping without her cell phone in the room like two weeks ago, and um, she has seen wonderful results. I did it last night. It worked out great until I realized realized that I woke up at 8.15 and yes. I don't have the alarm. And that was actually awesome too. I got my kid to school, but it was like- I was done grocery shopping. Yeah. I was on oh the way gosh. back from I got the grocery so much store. sleep. And he was still sleeping. I yeah. was I'm like, he goes, oh, I, I slept in. I'm like, I can't even reply to his text right now because I'm so annoyed. I dropped kids off at school and had gone grocery shopping. Yeah, but anyway. I, I did my job. But yeah, you guys, anyway, I, I need to work on the focusing no, part for I think sure. I will say I have gone through periods where I've slept with my phone- downstairs i've got and it's never yeah it's never stuck long term for the reasons you said because i'm waiting on my mom to call about a, a health update i'm waiting on this so i'll it'll creep back in so i but i do love what you get a landline i should just get a well, landline think about the president red phone or the bat phone like think try to think of yourself in your bedroom as like this little enclave of like an oval office type thing or however you want to you know i'm not going to mm -hmm. project onto you but think of it like a secret special room that only your mom or your sister or whoever has access to and when you say this is the number that you can reach me at and you put the landline in the i don't know about the u.s but in canada it's illegal for spammers to call you at night so what i do what leslie and i do is we turn the ringer on at night and that mental permission lets us go to sleep not worrying about because if something's wrong with my with her grandma who's going through something right now, we know we can, we know they'll call us. Yeah. We know, and then they know, and they know how to reach us. Yeah. But it gets the screens out of the bedroom because the screens are programmed to distract us into a million other things. Right. Yeah, I, they're doing their job. The screens. Yeah. So I and I also to circle back, which is my buzzword bingo for the day. Um, I do feel like I have a screen addiction i reach for my phone out of comfort to comfort if something is going it's it's stressful i it's it's if there was a, if i tracked this i'd be horrified with how many times i pick it up so one of my intentions is to not have it with me all the time but i do have a job and we communicate through text and so it's it's a this it's a endless battle and and he said it he said it you're not that important you're not that important <laughs> i've heard him say it before and i love it okay this has been a, a wonderful journey neil we um let's see let's see we well, talked we, we, we went book, through yeah your, your new book the our book of awesome is this uh, uh, there it is there she is is this your last book of awesome yeah you know I how wrote do you know well, I wrote the Book of Awesome in 2010, uh -huh. okay? Um, uh, it, it, it sold a million copies. It became a bestseller for 200 weeks. It, it, it spawned the Book of Even More Awesome, the Book of Holiday Awesome, the Journal of Awesome, the Calendar of Awesome. Now, all that so stuff awesome. happened to me in two years. In my late, in my, you know, uh, from 2010 to 2012, I had a really crazy life experience because in addition to being newly divorced, losing 40 pounds of distress, living in a downtown Toronto bachelor apartment, having no friends, because all my friends were married in the suburbs with kids, and I was suddenly, you know, stark single, alone, living, never lived alone, never lived by myself. I wrote these awesome things as a way to save myself. The thing is, what they, what they ended up doing is changing my life in a profound way where I, 
<sighs> started taking care of myself, learning how to cook. I started going to the gym for the first time, going on a hundred dates, met, met a woman. Her name was Leslie. We fall in love. And then my writing went to new places. And so over the past few years, I've been writing a book about resilience called You're Awesome. I wrote a book about happiness called The Happiest Equation. I've been working on a book on trust for four years and it's, I, I'm slowly making my way through it. Probably another few years left. And what happened is in the pandemic, the pandemic was so harsh that I turned back to the medicine that worked for me. And I thought, okay, it feels like a retraction or a step back as an author to revisit this old book that I'd written 12 years ago. But I thought, hey, let's do one last one. Let's make it about community. It's why I call it our book of awesome, not the book of awesome. Mm -hmm. So there's comments, there's letters, there's submissions, there's stories from other people in there. It's 432 pages of 500 new awesome things. In my mind, it feels good to say it's the last one because it kind of feels like a bookend, a point of closure. Yeah. I even copied the cover. It looks just like the first one. I mean, I literally, I thought, okay, let me close that. And then, you know, for my own identity, I still want to, I still want to go into places unknown. I still want to, what's trust about in society? What's love look like in a long-term healthy married relationship? How do I raise wonderful kids? I don't know the answers to these things. So that's where my mind wants to explore over the next 10 years. So I don't know if I'll come back to this concept. I've positioned it that way for my own sake. Okay. Have you, uh, have you discovered, I'm sure you have along this time, something that I've discovered recently that awesome has a lot more depth to its actual meaning. If you look it up, it's not just like great and tubular and so good. It also means awe-inspiring yeah. and terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there is a lot of work being done now, today, fresh research. Uh, a lot of it's read, run out of the Greater Good Institute in, in Berkeley. There's a new book all about the science of awe. Um, and we're learning that it's amazing. It's actually really amazing to me because historically, kind of like biblically, the word awe was meant to like, you know, the crack yeah. of lightning or like the, the staring over the, the, ca the chasm, 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 chasm of like, you know, the Grand Canyon and like, you know, it's that kind of gigantic awe. But what the research is finding today now is that awe, which is a word that, you know, kind of came into its current modern English uses in the 1700s, can actually mean the tiny, simple pleasures that we experience every day, like, you know, carrying the ice cube tray from the sink to the freezer without spilling, like the joy of playing on old dangerous playground equipment, the joy of flipping to the cold side of the pill in the middle of the night. And if we can start to see little moments of awe, if we can start to recognize that these little moments are as awe-inspiring to us as those big ones, guess what? Your life's got a lot more awe in it. You know, that, <laughs> the, the healthy baby screeching in the delivery room, father-daughter dances at weddings. I mean, there's only going to be like five days where those big moments are going to exist. If we can take, if we can see these small little pleasures, the joy of connecting with total strangers from across the world, live in real time that we never met before, and we just had a full, amazing, in-depth conversation, that's all, that's all. If we can see it that way. Then it makes us, it makes our lives feel a little bit further removed from that amygdala inside us and makes us feel like, yeah, yeah. this is really good. And that, and that feeling, and I, I get what you're saying about, so there's something about internal about acknowledging that there's something even more special about saying it out loud and probably more special about writing it down is the science. And, and exactly. that's, you know, and that's what. I'm working on for this year is just acknowledging all of those moments. And so that being said, thank you for, for being here and, and, and sharing how you got here. And also it's, it's lovely to hear 
this is, I hate to say it this way, but that this is a process for you too. Sometimes I oh, feel yeah. like it's just easy for other people. It's just easy for, for he just wakes up happy. No, it's a process. And he even has a process. He, he probably could unpack it, but, but to heal here, you Neil, a leader on this, it's, you still have to work at it. So it's nice to hear. <laughs> Yeah, and I will say for anybody listening, if, you know, one way to make sure that you work on it is to work on it publicly. So when I have podcast conversations like this, when I write the books, when I post the blogs, it it, it forces the practice inside myself. Yeah, and you got to back because... it up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I, exactly. I'm wondering if Penn, if we can hold each other accountable for the two minute. I mean, my two minute mornings. Um, would happen at probably 5 a.m. Yours at 8:15. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> can I like if I don't feel like writing it down, can I just say it out loud? Or do I have to write uh, it down? Yes. He's like, but and then I, you wouldn't I, I be writing in my book. too when I'm family <laughs> or something. But the act of, the act of writing, uh, the research shows, it, it okay. forces a, a connection with it. And, and the other okay. thing, Penn, that it does, you know how the first things I will let go of? Well, I'll tell you, there's nothing so gratifying as two weeks later flipping back into your book and being like, oh, my gosh, I was stressed about that. Oh, to remember it. Yeah. It feels so, it feels, it feels like such growth to flip back to your book and be like, okay. wow, like, I can't believe I was worried about that and oh yeah that is another thing so there's some there's some positive connection you don't got to write it in neil's two-minute morning journal you can write it on a piece of paper no i like it you your can... journal's cute i like it it's like perfect it would fit perfectly on my i'm, I'm cool with that i don't have a problem with that i replace my phone i'm gonna with send that. you a couple of them today uh, last question i've been wanting to ask this but i've been patient i need you to tell me you've written about a thousand things that are awesome what is the least awesome thing in the world and i'm gonna make you be specific just like you do with awesome stuff like what does neil just freaking hate specifically there's gotta be something like look like leslie and i just got home from from a, a vacation and you know what I hate is when they, they say, now boarding zone one, and these people out of nowhere just come out of the side. Yes. I've been standing here for a while, and they just run into the airplane. Like, that's that's not awesome. This, you want specific people that just barge and crash through the door and just, like, just beat the line. That's not, that's that's not cool. That's not a, okay. I love well it. done. So, um, Mine's bubble gum. So he, <laughs> so he doesn't like bubble gum. So also, Neil, do you have a go-to karaoke song? We just want to try to get to know Quirky Neil better. Just sang TNT at karaoke two days ago. TNT. Oh, from AC, like TNT, like that one. Yeah, well, because because you know my kids, including the one that's one year old, loves the like oh, oi, 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 oi. You know the beginning. Yeah. That's. No, you don't know the beginning. I don't know. Right. I don't know if you're familiar with TNT. I know TNT. Okay, now, yeah. now okay, I'm getting that. And, the, and then it's a, bit, it's a bit problematic because, you know, as my wife and I were singing it with our little tiny boys, and it gets to the line like, lock up your daughter, <laughs> lock up your wife, lock up. And then you're, we're looking at each other yeah. like, wait a minute, like, this is a oh, terrible This is a terrible <laughs> Why am I singing Afternoon message. Delight with my niece right now? Right, like, no, like, we did a whole video is, about exactly, like, how, like, in the, <laughs> like, the 80s and 90s, I was, like, sitting in the car singing like um well what are some of the songs i would sing in the uh, milkshake my milkshake You'd sing milkshake the yeah with my mom and it's not about milkshakes yes and there's so many songs that we just sing along to and they're so inappropriate so you're fine okay where can people find okay obviously you have many 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 books uh tell us okay list your most easiest way book, yeah. and easiest way for people to find you and listen to you and hear your awesomeness 
I'm just writing. <laughs> Two things I'll leave you with. Number one is all the stuff, all the books, all the podcasts, all the articles, everything, our newsletters, everything is all available at neil.blog, N-E-I-L.blog. Neil.blog is my digital home. Oh, and nice. I always think of people that make it to the end of the podcast, because you know how it is with podcasts these days. There's podcasts coming out of our ears. For the people that make it to the end of the podcast, you're part of the end of the podcast club. And if you made it this far, my email address is neil at globalhappiness.org. My personal email address is neil at globalhappiness.org. There's nothing as gratifying as hearing from someone who made it to the end and wants to share something. So, so the title of this podcast will be, if you listen to the end, you get Neil's personal information. <laughs> no. no, but we, it's so funny you say that, Neil, because we always get to the end. We're like, like if you've got it this far, screenshot us, tag us on Instagram and like, let, let's like, let me. And so I sit there and have a lot of conversations through direct message on Instagram with people who made it to the end of the podcast. So you're going to get some emails. Everybody who made it to the end of the podcast this week, instead of screenshotting it and tagging us on Instagram, I want you to email Neil. I love the gift giving for making it to the end. We've got to incorporate that but every show. Something exciting. Yeah. It has to be a secret. Well, right. you know, and on, so I, I do a podcast called Three Books every single uh, new moon and full moon. I ask somebody about which three books most shaped their life. I've interviewed big famous people like Quentin Tarantino, Brené Brown, Malcolm Gladwell, and everyday people like Uber drivers and people that run the corner grocery store and people I meet on the street. Here's the thing. At the end of every single, you heard me like, I'm like, is it chasm? Is it chasm? At the end of every single podcast, at the very end, and I kind of stole this idea from Allie Ward who runs Ologies and she always has like a little secret at the end. I, at the very end, I always say, here's a word that I didn't, I didn't know. That the, that the guests use that I actually pretended I knew, but I didn't. And I say the etymology and I say where the word came from. And I kind of teach myself what that word means at the very end of every show. Nice. Oh, so I like it's nice that. to have a little like Adding, dessert, nerdy dessert in this case. You know. Do you know what ladle means? I'm still concerned about that because <laughs> you used use it, it a lot. It has... <laughs> Do we need to revisit what ladle means? <laughs> Well, yeah, sure. I'm messing uh, with we you. can. It's it's a it's a deep it's a deep, bold, long handled spoon used especially for dipping and conveying liquids. Or number two, more interesting for you, Pen, potentially is something resembling a ladle in form or function. For example, that great big ladle in the sky every night. The Big Dipper. Can't every word be something that resembles something in function, though? And guys, we've gotten off. Yeah, I'm here. sorry. Okay, anyway, Neil, it has been a true joy. <laughs> Uh, to have to see your smiling face and to be able to talk to you. And I, th- I feel very lucky and grateful that our weird worlds have collided. In this I know. Way. So thank you. Thank you. And I hope to continue the conversation on my podcast. It'd be great to have you on talking about your formative books. Absolutely. And Neil, your personal phone number. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Okay. Bye everyone. <laughs> 
Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.